want to talk to you again today about the whole idea of bitterness and grudges and releasing all those bad feelings that we sometimes have towards others, forgiveness. And I feel like if I preach many sermons more on bitterness, you guys are going to be bitter at me because enough is enough at a point, right? But I have received several, quite a few text messages and some calls and maybe an email or two and letters. And so I know that this is a real issue for all of us in our lives as we go through lives, things, as we go through our life, things happen and people sometimes offend us and make us mad and angry. And if we're not careful, we can hold a, we can hold a grudge and we can get, we can get bitter about that. Now, before we get into the message today, let me say, if you're a sincere person and I believe everybody here today is sincere, you wouldn't even be in church. I mean, obviously, you want your heart to be right with God. You don't want there to be anything in your life that's not right. You don't want there to be any sin or immorality or, or any bad habits or anything like that. And you don't want there to be any bitterness and hard feelings in your heart or in your life toward anyone else. And so sincere people hear a sermon like this on bitterness and unforgiveness, and they think, well, man, I guess I haven't forgiven somebody. And I mean, through the years, I've had people say to me, well, you know, John, I think that I haven't forgiven, whether it was a spouse or a coworker or a friend or whoever it might be, I don't think I have forgiven that person because I don't think I could ever trust them again. In other words, because of what they did to me, I don't think I could ever trust them. And I always say to people who say that, listen, forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Forgiveness has to do with what happened in the past. Trust has to do with now and into the future. Let me give an illustration that I have, uh, I've given this before, but it's been a long time. Let's play like that somebody called me this week and wanted to make an appointment and visit with me and pick my brain on a few things. And so we set up an appointment for Tuesday afternoon at 3.30. And so this person comes to the office and the receptionist says, he'll be right with you. He's running a couple minutes late. Staff meeting's going a little bit over, but he'll be with you in just a moment. And so finally at 3.40, you had to wait 10 minutes. You get into my office and I can tell when you come in, you're a little bit agitated and, and not happy that you had to wait 10 minutes. And so you say to me, John, I can't believe you would be so insensitive of my time. My time is valuable and you made me wait 10 extra minutes in that lobby to see you. And you just walk over and punch me in the nose right there. So I'm thinking, man, what is, the, what is the deal? 10 minutes. And so I'm, I get my handkerchief out. I'm trying to stop my nose from bleeding. And you storm out of the office. And I think, well, that's about the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, on Wednesday, you call me and say, John, I'm so sorry I did that. I, stressful day. And I was frustrated. I had to wait 10 extra minutes. But that should never have taken that on you. Shouldn't have punched you in the nose. Would you please forgive me for that? I say, absolutely, I forgive you. No, no big deal at all. You say, John, do you think maybe next Tuesday at 3.30 we could just try that all over again and have that meeting? And I say, absolutely, just come back next Tuesday. And so you come back, same thing's happening. Staff meeting went long. You have to wait 10 extra minutes. And, and you come in, you say, John, this is two weeks in a row that you've made me wait and my time is valuable. You're going to punch me in the nose again. You've deviated my septum this time. And so nose is bleeding. You storm out of the office the next day, same thing again. John, I'm so sorry I lost my cool, my composure. I never should have punched you in the nose like that. Could you please forgive me? Absolutely, I forgive you. No, no hard feelings, no big deal. Do you think we could meet again next Tuesday? Now, here's what I'm gonna say to you. I'm busy next Tuesday. And I'm busy the next Tuesday. And I'm busy the next, and in fact, for the next 25 Tuesdays, I'm busy and I'm not gonna be able to meet with you. Why? It's not that I don't forgive you. It's that I don't trust you. Now, you say, John, for the sake of that argument, could that trust ever be rebuilt? Yes, it could. Let me say this today. Trust is to a relationship 
what a foundation is to a house. You build a house on a strong foundation. Now, down here in this heat this summer, what have we seen? We have seen some foundations get cracked. We have seen some, some, some foundations that had to be rebuilt. So you call a company and they come in and they put in the piers or they do what they do and that foundation is rebuilt and it's reestablished and it's just as good if not better than it was before. So if trust is broken, can it be rebuilt? Sure it can. It just takes a little bit of time. Now, sometimes somebody will say to me, well, my deal is not so much the trust My deal is, I don't think I have really forgiven that person because the relationship is not what it used to be. There used to be this great relationship and whatever happened, and now it's not like what it used to be. And so I guess I just haven't forgiven that person because the relationship isn't right. And I always say to people who say that to me, Listen, when when a relationship is strained or broken or damaged, we pray, we beg God, we do everything we can. We want there to be reconciliation and restoration. But forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 18, Paul said, as he said this, as much as it depends on you, if it is possible, Live peaceably with all people. Why did he qualify? The command is live peaceably with all people, but he qualified that twice. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. Why? Because sometimes it's not possible and sometimes it doesn't depend on you. I'm talking about the relationship itself. Let me give this example. Let's play like you work for a company and you've been there about 10 years or so, but your supervisor doesn't like you for whatever reason. He just doesn't care for you. And... The problem he has is, even though he doesn't like you, he doesn't have the authority to fire you. But he just really wants you out of the company. And so the supervisor goes to the president of the company and makes up all kind of lies about you and tells the president all these bad things. And so the president calls you in and he fires you. Now, you've been fired from this company and you haven't done anything wrong. Your supervisor didn't like you. The next day or two, they hire your replacement. They go on business as usual. You're out of a job. Now, here's the question. How do you handle that? Well, on a practical note, you've got to go out and get another job. But from a spiritual perspective, how are you going to handle that? Well, the only two options you have are to be bitter at that supervisor for what he has done or you forgive that super, you release that, you, you let that grudge go, you get that out of you and release that. Now, once you forgive that supervisor, think about this, the relationship between you and that company is still not the same as it was before you got fired. You are out of a job. You now have no relationship with that company. But that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven the supervisor who lied about you. It just means the other part of it is beyond your control. The only way you get that relationship back, supervisor goes to president, tells him he lied about you, apologizes to him, apologizes to you. The president finds a job and hires you back. Then that relationship is fully restored. But there are a lot of things that would have to happen for that to happen that are beyond your control. Now, one of the things we need to remember about God is this. While it is true that God holds us responsible for everything we can control, God doesn't hold us responsible for anything that we can't control. You can't control the supervisor and the president and that company, but you can control what's going on in your heart and how you deal with that. Now, it's interesting. Over the weekend, I read a definition of forgiveness that I think is the best definition that I've ever read because if forgiveness is not the same as trust, and it's not always the same as reconciliation, although we wish it could be, it's not always the same. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is surrendering your right 
to hurt the person who hurt you. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not saying, well, they didn't hurt me. No, they did hurt you. Forgiveness is saying, I surrender my right to strike back. I I surrender my right to retaliate. And not only that, I surrender my right to hold a grudge. I don't even want the, forget the revenge and striking back. I don't even want any of those bad feelings in my heart. And so that's what forgiveness is. Now that said, if you'll open your Bible this morning to the book of Jonah, because that's where we were last time, studying Jonah's forgiveness and uh, actually his unforgiveness and the bitterness that he had in his heart, his need to forgive a group of people that he was quite unwilling to forgive. Now, God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And God had said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell all the people there that if they'll repent of their sins, ask for my forgiveness, that I will forgive them, I will save them, and they can be a part of my family. Well, Jonah didn't want to do that because Jonah knew that the people of Assyria had terribly mistreated his grandparents, his great-grandparents, his ancestors. The Assyrians were known for their brutality and they were known for their hatred of the Jewish people, kind of like today, Hamas or Hezbollah or some of these nations that have expressed their desire to see the state of Israel just obliterated from the world. Well, the Assyrians were like that back in this time. And so Jonah didn't want the Assyrians to be forgiven. Jonah wanted the Assyrians to be judged. But he finally reluctantly went to the city. He preached. Everybody got saved who was old enough to get saved, who could understand the message. And instead of it making Jonah happy, look in chapter four and verse number one. And we read here, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. Why is he angry? He's angry because the Assyrians were not punished for what they had done wrong. God forgave them. God let them off the hook. God washed that sin away. And that bothered Jonah. And as a result, he was very bitter and he was very angry. Now, the main thing I'm trying to get across in this sermon today is bitterness is something that will negatively affect your relationship with God. And the only real cure for it is unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness. May not always put the relationship back together, but I'll tell you what it will do. It'll put it back together in your heart. It'll make it where in your heart, the relationship's great. In reality, it may not be, but in your heart, there's nothing but love there. And so bitterness is something that we have to deal with, just like Jonah should have dealt with it and did not, but we have to deal with it. Now, I want to mention today five negative effects that bitterness has on the human heart, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. But if you're a Christian, I personally think it's even worse because when we're bitter, we're grieving the Holy Spirit and we're negatively affecting our relationship with God. And the first thing I would say is this, bitterness, holding those grudges, it just drains the life out of you. It can make you physically tired and physically weak. Now look at Jonah, what happened in verse number two. So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, was not this what I said when I was still in my country, when I was back in Israel? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah said, God, I knew that if I came here and offered these people a chance to be forgiven, that they would take that and that you would forgive them. And then he says in verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah had such bitterness towards these Assyrians, instead of just forgiving them, as God had forgiven him and given him a second chance, he should have just forgiven them. But instead of that, he's bitter and he's angry. And what is that doing? It is draining the life out of Jonah. And that's what bitterness does. That's why it's not, it never pays to hold a grudge because the only person who loses is you. You're the one that it is sapping your strength and it is sapping your energy. I'll tell you something else bitterness does. Bitterness prevents you from enjoying all the blessings that God has for your life. You know, a, a person can be ha- happily married, wonderfully employed, great income, good health, great kids, everything's going for you great. And yet there's this one thing in your life, something has happened that's not right, you don't like it, rubs you the wrong way, you just don't like it. And you can let that one thing prevent you from enjoying all the blessings that God has given to you. I think about Jonah. As far as we know, Jonah had a good family. As far as we know, he was in good health. Certainly, he had a successful ministry. He preached this sermon and the whole town, basically gets saved. He had all the reasons in the world to be enjoying all the blessings that God had done for him. But he's not enjoying any of that. All he's doing is focusing on his hatred for this group of people known as the Assyrians. And I'm saying if it could happen to Jonah, it can happen to any of us. I remember in our family's life, hearing a story years ago that made a real impact on me. We have a friend who for many years pastored one of the, one of the largest churches in the nation. Sanctuary seated 5,000 people. It was packed out on Sunday. In fact, this church baptized. We're having our special baptism service at the end of October. This particular church baptized over 1,000 people a year for 10 consecutive years. I mean, God was blessing this church. This particular church was on nationwide television every Sunday night. I used to watch them. Just incredible, huge choir, great preaching, just a great service. And God was blessing the church in an amazing way. And I was probably 17, 18 years of age, maybe younger than that. And we were with this pastor and he said to my dad, I'm just listening to the conversation. He said, Charles, God's blessing our church. And dad said, oh, I know. I, I, we watch it every week and we're so grateful for what he's doing. And he said, but I want to just share with you an experience that I had out there. He said, in the midst of all those great things that God was doing, there were three men in the church who turned against me. And it wasn't because I'd done anything immoral or wrong. It it was all about power and them wanting something to happen and me not thinking that's the way the church should go. And he said, it broke my heart. He said, the reason it broke my heart, I had led these guys to the Lord. I had baptized them. I had helped them in their initial steps of discipleship and growing in their relationship with God. And I kind of felt like these guys were my sons. And they turned against me and, and they just kind of got in their eye in their mind that they knew more about pastoring a church than I did. They've never pastored one, but they felt like they knew more than I did. And he said, they got some of their friends to kind of follow along. And he said, I'll just be honest with you. Not only was it painful for me, but it began to cause me to be bitter. And it caused me to take my focus off of all the good things that God was doing in our church and even in our family's life. He said, when I would stand up to preach 5,000 people, the sermon being broadcast nationwide, he said, I could no longer see the 5,000 people. I could only see these three men who had turned against me. My dad said, well, how did you handle that? He said, well, 
Eventually, I had to handle it before the Lord and just get down on my knees and just release that to God and forgive these men and ask God to fill my heart with love for them, even though I was not gonna do what they were trying to force me to do in the church because I didn't think it was right. So I'm saying, here's somebody, a very successful pastor, a seasoned pastor, and yet bitterness so got a hold of him that it prevented him from seeing the blessings that God had given him in his life. I think we would all, if I could just call a timeout right now and say this, I think we would all agree that God has blessed us in unbelievable ways. Amen? You believe that? Say amen. I mean, we live in the, the best country in the world. We live in a great, as far as I'm concerned, we live in a, uh, in a great place to live down here where we live. Our family, our church, I know we've all got issues that we go through, but I mean, look, when you woke up this morning and when I woke up this morning, before we did anything else, we really should have thanked God for a lot of things that he's done for us in our lives. And I just wonder today how many of us woke up instead of thanking God that we're alive, thanking God for our spouse or for our family, for our home, for our job, for our health, that we woke up saying, well, today when we go to church, I hope I don't see him or I hope I don't bump into her. This ba- these ba- and then we come in here and we just worshiping, oh God, I just love you. And I just wonder what God thinks. Well, I'll tell you what God thinks. God thinks it's an abomination. You know, God said in Psalm 66, if, if my people have iniquity in their heart, sin in their heart, I won't even hear them when they pray. And so it says to me that before we go into the presence of God and worship and tell him how wonderful he is and, and, and have our prayer time and read our Bible, we need to make sure that in our hearts, we're, we're free of all bitterness and all of those things. It grieves the Holy Spirit And it prevents us from enjoying all the blessings that God has given to us. And I'll tell you something else bitterness does. Bitterness keeps you from being productive. It does. Here's Jonah, all these new converts. He should have been going around helping them to take their next steps of faith and helping them to learn more about God and helping them to grow. But no, he wasn't doing any of that. He said, God, I'd rather die than live. I don't even want to be here anymore. What was happening? He's not, he's not, doing what God would want him to do. He was not in any way being productive. In fact, just the opposite. He was being distracted from that. When I was in seminary in the early to mid-1990s, one of the most well-known professors back in that day at Southwestern Seminary was a man named Dr. Bill Toller. Back in the 1980s, Dr. Toller was the interim pastor of our church here. He had been the interim pastor at Prestonwood in Dallas. He preached all over the nation. He was, he's probably the most intelligent man that I've ever met in all my life. He was a true genius. And one of the most loved professors at Southwestern Seminary. In fact, he was so smart that I didn't sign up for his class because I was afraid I couldn't pass. I mean, he's just that smart of a guy. I signed up for somebody else's class. I actually made a C in that class. I should have signed up for Dr. Toller's class. But anyway, I only made two C's in seminary, one on biblical backgrounds, talking about how the world began, and one on revelation, how the world ends. So I I say, I'm not very good on how we started or how we'll end, but I'm pretty good on all the stuff in between. But anyway, Dr. Toller used to come down here at our church every January, and he would lead a Bible conference. It was really good. On one of those occasions, I had already graduated, was on staff down here, and I was driving Dr. Toller back to the hotel after the Friday night session. And we were talking, and I said, well, how are things going at the seminary? Well, he knew what I was referring to because just a couple of years earlier, the president of our seminary had been fired, not because he had done anything immoral. It was very much a political thing, and 
the way they did all that, and you know, it just hurt a lot of people. And so Dr. Toler and I were just kind of talking about that. He said, John, I think things are getting better. In fact, they had made Dr. Toler the interim president after the president got fired. But Dr. Toler and this president had been like the best of friends for decades. He said, you know, John, that's one of the hardest experiences I've ever been through in my life. He called the president's name. He said, he and I were just like brothers. And he said, I, seeing how that all went down, I just, it just broke my heart. And he said, I have to be honest with you. It made me bitter. And I'm thinking, Dr. Toller, I mean, you're like, you know, one step below Billy Graham in my mind. I said, you, and he said, no, it made me bitter. And he said, it was, it made me very unproductive in my work and in my Bible reading and in my praying and in my preaching and in my teaching. And he said, I learned something about bitterness. He said, here's what I learned. And I never have forgotten this. He said, when you're bitter in your heart towards somebody, it's like driving your car with the emergency brakes on. He said, you just can't really build up very much speed at all. I said, well, how did you, how did you deal with that? Same way the pastor dealt with it. Same way Jonah should have dealt with it. He said, I just had to get with God and say, God, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. But I, don't, I know it's also not right for me to be having these negative feelings. So I just release that to you. I just let that go. And I, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for my heart not being right. And God, I just release these people that I'm bitter towards. And he finally got victory over that. But I'm saying to you, it can happen to anybody. But if it doesn't, if you don't get free, it'll keep you from being productive. Not only that, I've noticed this about bitterness. Bitterness causes you to get upset about things that aren't really the problem. If a person is bitter, they're typically flying off the handle. They're at the restaurant and the waiter messes up the order. So they're all over the waiter. Or they're at the hotel and the room's not right and they're all over the person at the hotel. Or they're at the airport and the seat's not right and they're all over the flight attendant or they're all over the person behind the counter and they're just, they're just flying off the handle. And it seems to me that more often than not, sudden anger is the result of hidden anger. In other words, the person who just flies off the handle well, they were already mad before they flew off the handle. And more than likely, what they're flying off the handle about is not even really what they're angry about. We see this with Jonah. Look in verse number five. So Jonah went out of the, in verse four, God said to him, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he made, till he, so he could see what might become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant like a big tree and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So now circumstances are good. Jonah's happy. I got this shade tree. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it, it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a strong east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah had hidden anger. He was mad at the Assyrians. But now after God makes his shade tree and the next day a worm bites the tree, the tree withers and dies, the sun is shining down, the wind is blowing, he's hot, he's got no shade, he's getting sunburned, he's mad at the worm, he's mad at the heat, he's mad at the sun, and he says, it is not even right for me to live, God, please, it'd be better if I died than I live. And God said in verse nine, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
Are you really wanting to die because the plant died? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Jonah's not even rational at this point. What he's saying doesn't even make sense. He's upset over things that are not really the issue. And I want to say today, if you, and we all struggle in and out of this from time to time, but lately, if you have found yourself getting upset over stuff that's really not that big a deal, it could very well be that there's something going on in your heart. There's hidden anger and that's resulting in sudden anger and you've got to deal with what's hidden and more often than not, what is hidden is bitterness. And the last thing I would say about bitterness is that bitterness stains other people. Let me give you a scripture to write down. I'll read it to you in Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse four, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now watch this. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled or become contaminated. And so bitterness here is described as a root. It's something that's under the surface. You can't see it, but it springs up. And when it springs up, it, not, it, it hurts others. When, when you're bitter, you hurt those you love most overly touchy, overly sensitive, a short fuse, and it's, it's kind of like you're contaminating them. And so those are some of the negative things that bitterness does. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is gonna be the last sermon I preach on bitterness, uh, maybe forever, okay? We may never have another sermon on bitterness, but certainly in this little study, this will be the last one. But the million-dollar question is, because you're sitting there listening to me today, and you may be thinking, well, you know, to be honest with you, I got some of that. I, I have, I've got some of that going on in me. How, how do you deal with it? How do you get free from that bitterness? Let me just mention a couple of things here today, maybe three things. Number one, don't follow the example of Jonah. Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus never became bitter. They were mistreating him. They were abusing him. They were crucifying him on the cross. And what is Jesus praying? He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now think about this. If you're saved, you still listen, say amen. If you're saved, you have Jesus in your heart. Romans chapter five and verse five, the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so that means when somebody has hurt us in some way, what do we do? We love them back. We forgive them unconditionally. We follow the example of Jesus. And we don't follow the example of Jonah who never did get over it. As far as we know, Jonah went to his grave having never dealt with the bitterness that was in his heart towards these Assyrians. Back in Jonah chapter four in verse 10, but the Lord said, you have, not, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? That is, they're not even old enough to know the difference in right and wrong. And much livestock. And so God says to Jonah, you had more pity on a plant than you do on these people. And so we don't want to follow Jonah's example. We want to follow the example of Jesus. Unconditional love. Jesus just, you know, if we could have just been with Jesus for a week and a half and just seen how he's dealing with, his love for people has nothing to do with how they treat him. 
Nothing. Has, his joy had nothing to do with it. They didn't steal his joy. He just kept, his joy was in his relationship with God. And uh, unconditional love, unending joy. So I encourage you, follow the example of Jesus. Your life will be so much better. I'll say the second thing here. Don't view the person who hurt you as your enemy. View them as a test. It's so easy when we've been hurt to view that other person or that situation or that that group of people. We just view them as an enemy. Don't view them as an enemy. View them as a test. It is a test for you to do what? To exhibit unconditional love to them. For you to exhibit the same love to them that God has exhibited to you and that God has exhibited to me. I've told you before, but it just fits this sermon so well. I'm gonna tell it again. How not long after our family came to Pasadena in the early 90s and we were beginning the relocation process and buying all this land. And, and those were not the easiest days in the church. And, and one night at the old location, we were having a business meeting and people were just standing up saying all the reasons the church shouldn't relocate and how terrible of an idea this was and we shouldn't do it. And it was just, just one of those, it just kind of made me nervous. My brother and I were home from college and we were just kind of listening to all this and it was just kind of a, of a tense time. This one guy went to a microphone and he started to speak. He had a t-shirt on of Jesus. Jesus, picture of Jesus on his t-shirt. I thought, well, surely he's gonna say something nice. I mean, he's wearing Jesus on his shirt. And he stood up and said, I just want everybody here tonight to know that our new pastor is of the devil. He's a servant of Satan. And he's leading us in the wrong way. Well, my brother and I, sitting in the back of the church, I looked to Joel, I said, who is this guy? He said, I don't know, but we'll take care of him in the parking lot after this service is over. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. We did not take care of him in the parking lot, but we beat him up in our hearts. I mean, we put it on him. Every wrestling move we ever learned, we put it on him in our minds. We didn't touch him. We didn't say anything to him, but in our hearts. I went back to Baylor and every month or two or so, I would come in town to visit my family and occasionally get to preach here. And anytime I came back, Christmas, summertime, I would see that guy from across the sanctuary, maybe in the hall. And when I would see him, I had this bitterness in my heart. He didn't know it. I never said anything to him. Most of us, most of the time are smart enough to hide those feelings, but it was still there. And I never will forget God saying to me, not audibly, but in my spirit, John, What that man said about your dad isn't right. It wasn't right. I heard that and it wasn't right. I understand how you got mad. But the feelings that you have in your heart aren't right either. And so you've got to deal with those feelings. And I can remember, that may be one of the first times in my life that I ever been through anything like that. And it was like I had to just forgive that man and get that out of my heart and get my heart back right with God. Had nothing to do with that man. That man didn't know that I didn't like him but I knew it and God knew it. And so don't view the person who hurts you as an enemy. View them as a, view them as a test. And then the third thing I would say is this, don't forget that forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. I think sometimes we say, well, I will forgive them as soon as they come to me and ask me to forgive them. Then I'll forgive them. Friend, when you say that, what you're doing, you're giving that other person the keys to your soul and you're saying, whenever you do what's right, then I'll do what's right. You need to understand this. They may never come and ask you to forgive them. First of all, they may not even know that they hurt you. They may not even know because in their mind, they're thinking, why did you get, I didn't even mean anything. Or they may say, no, I know, but I don't even care. 
But if you say to that person, as soon as you forgive, ask forgiveness, then I'll forgive you. No. Now, if their relationship's gonna be right, certainly they have to repent and ask for forgiveness. But I'm saying it's, it's not primarily about your relationship with that person. It's about your relationship with God. And so you say, God, they may never ask me to forgive them, but I can't wait for that anymore. What I've got to do is release them. What I've got to do is let that go and let the, these feelings go. Doesn't mean I trust them. Doesn't mean the relationship will necessarily ever be what it could be. I wish it could, but it may not. If they don't, I mean, if something doesn't change, but forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. I received a call last week from a friend. He said, John, my wife and I spent some time lately with some extended family and we had a great trip, they said, he said. He said, on the trip, I've got this one family member. He's always kind of needling me. He's always putting me down and criticizing me and he's always, he's always disrespecting me, really. And he said, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. And my wife and I came back home. Again, it was a great trip, but he said, I just, I was so upset with this family member that it was just really bothered me. He said, it just, the thought of him was just really making me angry. He said, I, we missed a week or two of church on our vacation, but when we came back to church the first week back, you were preaching this sermon about bitterness and forgiveness. And he said, to be honest with you, I just thought, that's the last thing I want to hear right now because uh, the way that guy's been treating me is not right. But he said, in the sermon, you made the statement that we should always forgive people because life's too short to be bitter and it's not worth what it does to us. He said, when we walked out of the service that day, I said to my wife, that sermon was for me because I'm letting this thing make me bitter. And I said, what'd you do? He said, well, I'll tell you what I did. I got to thinking about all the grace that God has extended to me for my whole life. And he said, I just decided that in my heart, I want to extend that family member the same grace that God has extended to me. And he said, John, I'm just calling you today to say, when I had that mental shift, it's like the weight of the world has been lifted off of me. What was he saying? He wasn't saying that that family member's ever gonna change or quit doing, you know, acting that way. But what he was saying is, I've changed in my heart. And now I don't have anything but love for them. In fact, he said, I can't wait to see him later on this year during the holidays, just so that I can look for ways to show grace and show love to him. I thought it was a beautiful thing. Now, today... As we come to the end of this little emphasis we've had on bitterness and grudges and bad feelings, the series does end today. And it needs to end. We need to get on to something else. But I'll say this. It may be the most practical thing that any preacher could preach on to any congregation anywhere. Because we're human beings in relationships with others. And sometimes things happen. And we want to make sure that our heart is right with God. Again, we can't always control what the business does or what the other people do, but we can control our heart. Listen, we can, so, we can be so free of bitterness and, and grudges and bad feelings in our heart that the relationship with that person in our heart can be just like everything's perfect, even if maybe in reality it's not. In our heart it is. And when we go to the grocery store, we don't duck them or look to go another. No, we see them and we go talk to them and we love them. And there's none of that negative stuff in our heart. You say, well, John, I agree with everything you've said. I am glad you're stopping this. I'm tired of hearing about it, but I agree with everything you've said. But here's what I believe. If we listen to this many sermons on bitterness, and even if we agree with everything I've said, and yet, if we still have some of that in our hearts, 
To me, it would have been a poor stewardship of time to hear all these sermons on bitterness and walk out of this worship center today still bitter. I'm not saying it would have been a waste of time because God's word never returns void. But I think it would have been a poor steward of time. Today, if you have that, you can release. And again, maybe it's helpful for some today to hear. That doesn't mean that you trust them. Maybe you can't trust them, at least not now. It doesn't necessarily mean that things will be back as they were. That may not always be possible. There, there are lots of issues. There are safety issues. There, there, there's just a lot of moving parts in that. There are other people's desires and wills that, that may preclude that from happening. But in your heart today, if you make a decision to let it go. You know, the Greek word for forgiveness is a fiamy, a fiamy. And it literally means to release or to let go. It's a picture of a bird in a cage trapped and the owner of the home walks over and opens that cage door and the bird flies out. The bird has been a fiamy. The bird has been released. The bird has been set free. And when we forgive, many times we discover that we were the bird. <laughs> we were a Captive in, their own, in our own cage of bitterness, which we have made, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Think about this. If bitterness grieves the Spirit, and it does, then forgiveness and love and no retaliation and no grudges, what does that do? That brings great joy to the Holy Spirit. It opens up the flow of his working in our hearts and through our lives. It brings happiness and joy to us. It makes us where we're traveling light and walking with no burden. And it's possible today, if you will make a decision with God's help to release that offender and to let that go and to walk in love and to walk in forgiveness. Amen. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, Father, I know this is a sensitive issue because people have been hurt in a lot of different ways, some deep and profound ways. And what happened, Lord, was wrong and, and uh, in some cases unthinkable. And yet it happened. And God, now it's on us. How do we respond? How do we deal with that? With your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. I led this prayer in the first service. Many, many, many in that service silently prayed this prayer, and they released this. And I believe in this service today the same thing could happen. And we can leave this room today with a lightness in, a spirit, in our spirit, with a spring in our step, with a song in our heart, maybe that we've not had in a long time. Not because we excuse what was done or play like it didn't matter. No, if it hurts you, it matters. But we let it go. We let them off the hook. We choose not to bring it up again. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord, First of all, you know what happened. You know what happened. And God, you know how it has hurt me. And yet, God, even though what happened was wrong, how I'm dealing with it is not right. So I ask you to forgive me for anger, for hatred, for vengeance, for disgust, for holding a grudge. 
Forgive me for that. That's my part in this. Forgive me. And God, as I gratefully receive your forgiveness, I ask you to forgive them. Very much like you prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm asking you to forgive them. And God, today, as best as I know how, I choose to let it go so that I can be free of this burden and that I can have love in my heart. May not, be like, may not mean things are like they used to be or like I wish they were. May not mean that trust is quite the same. Hopefully that'll all be rebuilt in time, but maybe so, maybe not. That's, beyond, that's out of my control. But God, I choose today to let it go and lay it down. And I open the cage door. And as I let my, as I let my offender go free, I'm following them right out of this cage. Fill my heart with love and with forgiveness. Help me to see it as a test and help me to pass that test. I believe people have prayed that prayer. That's a very sensitive topic and I know this is a very delicate moment, but I think some are being released from a burden that maybe you've carried for a long, long time. And maybe today, by knowing what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, it's kind of helped you to deal with it in a a more appropriate way. Now, there's some today, I would think, it happens every week, who need to be saved. Your first step in the Christian life is to receive God's forgiveness of your sins. Just like God forgave those Assyrians, God will forgive you. He's forgiven me of all my sins. And he'll forgive you today if you'll ask him to and if you'll trust him. Would you just pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for everything I've done wrong. I ask you now to forgive me. Cleanse me. And God, help me not to do those same things again. Help me to go in a different direction. Help this day to be the first day of the rest of my life. Come into my heart. Save my soul. And as I ask you to save me, I trust you to save me. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.